Thank you, Rebecca. Um, I want to start off with asking you guys if you've ever heard the phrase, come as you are, like in relation to church or to Jesus, just come as you are, come. Okay, lots of heads nodding. Okay, how many of you guys believe that? Like, believe you can come as you are? Okay, a few hands. Okay, so my question is, how many of us act like that? How many of us actually act like we can come as we are? So for me, I know that at times I struggle, and it was a really big struggle, months and months for me to accept that I can come as I am to this place, to standing right here in front of you. Um, yeah, I can think of every reason in my head why I was like, no, I just need to tell Andrew this, and Andrew will preach on it. Just, just give Andrew a note, and then he'll do it. Um, FYI, it doesn't work that way. So if you give Andrew a note, um, be ready. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just ask Rebecca. Um, but all the things that were going through my head that would disqualify me from standing here. You know, I didn't study theology. I studied music. Um, I don't know my Bible as well as blank. Pick a name. Tristan. I don't know my Bible as well as Tristan. Um, I'm single or I'm a woman. Some people struggle with either one of those two standing up here. Um, I personally struggle to read aloud in front of people. It is one of my biggest fears. Um, and another thing is I fail daily to show Jesus in my life. We know we strive to show Jesus in everything we do. But let me tell you, when I get behind the wheel in Pretoria traffic and load shedding, it's like people's minds have left their body and don't know how to use a four-way stop. Like, it's not that hard. We all take turns. Um, so I very much fail showing Jesus in those moments, even if there's no one in the car with me. Um, Bryony can attest to that. because She's like, hmm. Um, so those are kind of some of the things that I use to try to disqualify myself. And then I've also allowed different people to speak into my life and tell me things and things I've heard is, Amy, you're just too much. You're just, you're too loud. You're too much. Um, just stay in admin or hospitality. That's really where your gifting lies. Just stay there. Um, I've also been told I'm not qualified to lead because I don't understand what it means to serve. Um, and I've also been told I'm just a bit too American. Like, you don't understand our culture, you're just too American. Um, then I correct them and tell them I'm too Texan, um, because there's a difference. Um, because there is, there is a difference. Um, I don't always claim America, but I will always claim Texas. Um, but these voices, voices of my own and voices of people and voices of the world, I started letting them get so loud that even though they were lies, I started to believe them as truths because I just let them get louder and louder and I didn't confront them. I didn't confront them with God's word. I didn't confront them with prayer. I said, well, this has been said to me so many times, it must be true. Um, but the reason it's been said to me so many times is the enemy knows what button to pick in our life, knows what button to push to say, oh, that's where Amy struggles. You know, or that's where Michelle struggles, or, you know, th that's where that person struggles, so that's where I'm going to poke them. Um, and so that's why those voices kept coming over and over. And I'm sure many of y'all can think in your lives of, okay, uh, God has called me to do something, or God's called me to go somewhere, he's called me to say something, 
and you could make a list just like I could of the ways he's disqualified or the way you think you're disqualified. It can be anything from, you know, you don't know my past. You don't know the secret struggle that I'm still dealing with. Or this one I hear a lot. Like I hear this one weekly. I need to sort myself out before I can come and ask Jesus for something. Um, or I grew up in such a legalistic home. When it comes to God, all I look at him as a person that does judgment or a person that puts rules on me. They don't know God as a loving father. They only know God as a strict authoritarian figure. So question for you, another interactive section. Who opened up the gate this morning? Who was like on gate duty? Who was on? Barry. Barry tried. Usually it's a mixture between Barry and Warren. Like one of them gets distracted and then the other one gets the key. Um, So my question is, did... Did Barry come outside the gate and meet you and qualify you before you came into this building? Did he sit there and be like, okay, are you dressed appropriately? Did you cuss at anybody or flip anybody off on your way to work or on your way to church this morning? Did you and your spouse have an argument? What did you do on Friday night? Let's see if you're good enough to get into church. That wasn't the case. Like, if, if Barry wasn't there, Rebecca yelled at him and he opened the gate. Um, but... That's because there's not a qualification to come to God. There's not a qualification to get to his presence. Um, we are welcomed in. So there's nothing that man can do or say that disqualifies us from the calling God has for us. And when it comes to our relationship with God and who he has called us to be and where he has called us to go, the world's approval isn't needed. Although sometimes we sit and we wait for the world's approval. But we don't have to because the world and man is not what qualifies us and it's not who qualifies us. I recently heard a story a few months ago about disqualification. I serve in a missions organization and there's a gentleman there that serves in a country that is predominantly Islam. And he um, was telling us a story about his wife and His wife was in the car with um, a lady from their neighborhood who is Muslim, and the two of them were on their way to the market to just go shopping. And his wife looks over at the lady and um, looks at her fingernails and then goes and notices that her fingernails are painted. And then she goes, oh, you must be on your period. Okay. Thank you. That's the look that 150 African leaders got when he said it as well. But he stopped and gave us context. So in the Islamic faith, Muslims have to clean to get into the mosque to go to prayer. They have certain rituals they have to go through. You know, for the women, they have to clean their feet and they have to clean their hands and they have to clean underneath their nails. So they can't have nail polish on because they have to be shown that they're really clean. But they can't go and pray when they're on their period because they're considered unclean. And so this lady, knowing the culture of the Muslim religion, that's why she said, and this woman, this Muslim lady goes, well, can you pray to your God when you're on your period? And talk about a divine opening to share the gospel in a country that you're not allowed to share the gospel with. They were in a car by themselves, and it was, can you pray to your God when you're on your period? And so this woman, this man's wife, 
instead of just saying, yes, you can come as you are, you know, we're free, we can come to God anytime we want, she took, um, she took a play out of Jesus' handbook and told a story. Um, and the story that she told, I'm going to read it to you. It's in three different Gospels, but I'm going to read it out of Luke. It's Luke 8. We're going to start in the middle of verse 42. It says, As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out of me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go and notice, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now, this woman, we only have you know, about six verses here. In the other Gospels, it's like six verses or ten verses, so we don't know very much about this woman. But this woman had so many things that the world disqualified her because. So if we go back to Leviticus law, don't worry, I'm not going to read it out of Leviticus, I'm going to paraphrase it, but if you were bleeding or subject to bleeding or on your menstruation, you were considered unclean, and if you touched somebody that was there, you were also considered unclean, and you had to go through all these different things before you were considered clean to be in the presence of God or to go and present um, an offering So the law and the world that she was living at the time disqualified her. She was also, let's just take a bit of a a stretch, she was probably extremely physically weak. If she had been bleeding for 12 years, this was not at a woman at her peak of her physical capability. And mentally and emotionally, I don't think it's a far stretch to assume that she was probably in a place of pure exhaustion and on the edge of hopelessness, because it says that she's tried and no one could heal her. But even though she had the law against her, she had her physical body against her, and she had probably her mental and emotional self against her, all these things saying, I'm not qualified to make it to probably outside the city gates, which is most likely where she was, to make her way through the crowds, through crowds that almost crushed Jesus, with probably very little strength and people's reactions, she still pushed through the crowd. And we don't know how or why, but obviously she's on the ground because it says she touched the edge of his cloak, which is the bottom. So something inside this woman knew that she had to get to Jesus. She couldn't change her situation and make herself better before she went to Jesus. She just, she came as she was. So the question that I want to ask you guys and put up a mirror to myself as well and that I have been these last few weeks is why do we? Why do we feel like we have to fix ourselves and get ourselves sorted out before we go to Jesus? Why do we let the voices of the world or voices of things that were said years ago to us 
still have power. I don't want to miss out on things because I feel like I'm unqualified. I don't want to miss out on things because I'm going to take a step back and be like, I'm not qualified for it, God. Let someone else do it. And I know God is being like, but it's for you. I have it for you to do. The question I asked myself a few days ago in prepping for this is, why do I allow the voices of the world to be louder than the one who created the world? Why? Why? And confronting those lies aren't easy um, because they sound that they could be true. They sound, again, the enemy knows exactly what we need to make us take a step back. The very end in Luke 8, 48, it said, Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And the same account in Mark 5, verse 34, goes, He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. I don't know about you, but peace and freedom sound really, really good in the world that we're living in to be able to walk and know that I have peace and know that I have freedom. Now, it doesn't mean that those voices that try to disqualify me stop. Sometimes that means they're actually going to be louder. When I recognize that they're lies, sometimes they become louder. But what that means is I have to choose to let God's voice be louder. And some of the ways that I do that is that I have to spend time in his word. I have to spend time in his word, and I have to spend time in this word. So analog not digital. I have to spend time in this word because if I'm on my phone and I'm like, the Bible app is great. Don't get me wrong. You want to quickly look up something, but WhatsApp pops up or a phone call comes in or a notification on one of your social medias comes in and then it's down the rabbit hole you go and you're like, wait, I was supposed to be spending time in the word. Like this is spending time in the word. This is how we, this is how we learn our father's voice. This is our love letter that he has given to us. And another part of that is just prayer, whether it's individual prayer or it's corporate prayer here at church or here on Wednesday nights, whatever it is, just time in prayer, time where we can encourage each other, time that we can get in and hear his voice. And the other is silence and solitude with God. It is turning everything off. And it's actually easier to turn all the things off. Turning our brain off is the hard thing. Um, but sitting in silence with God. And what happens when we do that is we become more attuned to his voice. We become so much more attuned to know what is truth and what is a lie. It's just like if there was a kid outside who screamed, not every mom would pop up. The one mom that knows that that's her kid is going to pop up because she knows what her kid's voice sounds like. And the same for us. And the more I'm familiar with his voice, the more I'm able to be identif- identify with it, the more I'm able to identify the lies, the more I'm able to identify the truth, the more I can trust his truth, and the more I can trust his character. And so the question that I want to leave you with, and I've asked kind of throughout this, is what lie are you letting disqualify you right now? Um, what lie 
Has somebody told you that is stuck? That every time you feel like you want to step into what God is doing for you, you're like, no, I can't, I can't, because this, because this. It's a lie. It is a lie of the enemy. And it might have even been someone very close to you that you trusted that said that word. And I want to challenge you to take that word to God and say, God, is this the truth about me? Because I can guarantee you it's not. Because the truth is that on the cross, God gave freely, gave freely his only son. And what that means is I can come to God anytime because I am qualified through the blood of Jesus. One of the ways that we remember that we are qualified by Jesus' blood is by taking communion. And we're going to take communion today a little bit differently because I want us to respond not to what I said, but to what God has said. The whole front row just left. It's okay. Don't worry. <laughs> They're supposed to. It's okay, Vanessa. It's okay, Tristan. It's okay. Um, so I want to ask, we're going to do communion in a second, but I want you to literally... We're going to physically get up and we're going to come to the table. We're going to come to him. We're going to come just as you are to the table. And we're going to take communion. There's going to be two different stations up here and you're going to tear off the bread. And then you're going to dip the bread and you'll eat it. And then as you go back to your seat, I would ask that you just sit in silence and say, God, what do you say about me? What do you say qualifies me? What lie have I been listening to that, I've been, that you want to break? What lie do you want to break right now? So, we, like I said, we do communion every week here at Trinity Central, which, which I love because it's a reminder, again, of who qualifies us and why we are qualified. And I want to read the scripture to you from Mark, verse, chapter 14. Um. The Lord's Supper, which is also what we call communion. On the night that Jesus was portrayed, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And every time that we take the bread and drink from the cup, we remember that we are living now in the new covenant. We are living in the new promise of God. We are living in a world where we are qualified by his blood.